You know, when you have a show about gratitude, you've got to be grateful for your sponsors. And in our life of gratitude, you know, we all have guides. Somebody that guided us through our lives, that made us appreciate those things that we have. And that's why I'm so delighted and so grateful for our sponsor, Life Guides. Life Guides is a peer-to-peer community that helps people navigate through their day-to-day stressors by providing a place of empathy, listening, wisdom, and support with a guide who has walked in your shoes, experiencing the same challenge or life experience as you. A true life guide. And because you're listening to our Gratitude Podcast, if you go to their website, lifeguides.com forward slash schedule a demo and add the code HEALTHY2021. The code is HEALTHY2021 in the free text box. You'll get two months of their services for free. Two months for free. So sign up, show your team you care, get a life guide, be grateful for those guides in your life as I am grateful for our sponsor, Life Guides. Welcome to the Anxiety at Work podcast. I'm Chester Elton, and this is my co-author and dear friend, Adrian Gostick. Hi, everybody. Uh, We hope that the time you spend with us today is going to help remove the stigma of anxiety and mental health in the workplace and your personal life. With experts in the world of work and life, we want to give you ideas and, most importantly, tools to deal with anxiety in your world. And we are delighted to have as our guest today Dr. Jennifer Goldman Wetzler, a former counterterrorism research fellow with the Department of Homeland Security. Dr. Goldman Wetzler holds a PhD in social organizational psychology from Columbia University. She is a leading expert on conflict and organizational psychology. She is the founder and CEO of Alignment Strategies Group and author of Optimal Outcomes, a Financial Times Book of the Month. For two decades, she has advised senior leaders at global corporations such as IBM, Intel, Novartis, in optimal organizational health. Jennifer, welcome to our humble podcast. We're delighted to have you here today. Thank you so much, Chester, and thank you, Adrian. It's a delight to be with you. Well, we really are excited. I've, I've been really thinking about this topic coming up, Jennifer, and um, really thinking about mental safety, which we talk a lot about in our podcast, and this idea of conflict and how we make them compatible. And as really one of the world's authorities on, on healthy conflict, we'd love you to start out telling us a little bit, maybe about your background. What drew you to studying conflict yourself? Well, my story begins with my grandparents' stories, actually. So my paternal grandparents fled Nazi Europe in the 19, late 1930s, and they came via the Dominican Republic to New York uh, with you know, not a penny to their names, but with a lot of emotional baggage, as you can imagine. They lost family members. Um, but at the time, there was not any way for them to process, or they didn't have a way to process their emotions. And so there was a lot of pent-up grief, rage, sadness that came out, particularly through my grandfather, in anger, in rage. And as a child, I grew up across the street from them. And so I learned from a very young age how to, learn, how, how to deal with anger in my family. Um, 
And I personally still to this day, you know, anger is not an easy thing for me to deal with, but I've taught myself and I've learned over time. On the other side of my family was my grandma Florence, who was the family conflict whisperer. Uh, and she just by the by her presence and just by the sound of her voice was able to calm down any fighting that would occur. So we would every Sunday drive to my aunt and uncle's house uh, from the Bronx where we lived to Connecticut. And Grandma Florence would sit in between me and my brother in the back seat. And there would be fighting going every which way in that car. And just by Grandma Florence saying, sha, sha. Very little Yiddish, <laughs> Yiddishism. <laughs> yeah. She would calm everyone down. And so I think it was really learning how to deal with that anger as a kid and also having this model of the conflict whisper of Grandma Florence that enabled me to naturally uh, play that conflict whisper role as an adult for my family, for my friends, and ultimately for my clients or with my clients. You know, when you think about that, we're so glad that you became the conflict whisperer and not just angry, you know, all the time, right? Um, well, it's it, a little bit of both, right? There's some paradox there. <laughs> right. I'll tell you, though, it is interesting family history, how important that is. You know, what environment did you grow up in? And how did it impact you? You, you know, in your, in your book and, and the and concepts you teach, you talk about the conflict loop and how you can get stuck in a loop. You know, how does that, getting stuck in that loop, how does that drive anxiety in the workplace and with, with teammates? Well, the way the conflict loop works is that it's made up of two or more conflict habits. So conflict habits are things like we blame other people or some of us shut down or avoid other people, avoid conflict with other people. Others of us, we blame and shame ourselves. And finally, the fourth conflict habit uh, is that some of us relentlessly seek to collaborate with other people even when those people have shown themselves to be unwilling to collaborate or cooperate with us. And so we try and we try, we blame others, we hope that that's going to help us win the conflict, we, we shut down hoping to avoid, but of course what happens over time is that conflict tends to just bubble up underneath the surface and then it explodes when we least expect or want it to. Um, and some of us, we blame ourselves and we can really stew in that anxiety and shame. Um, and we're hoping to kind of extract lessons and learn something from the situation, but instead we stew in our negative self-talk that keeps us stuck in that conflict loop. Um, and then, you know, others of us were kind of relentlessly seeking to collaborate. You may be one of those people yourself that may be your habit or you may know of others, right? In organizations, this is very, very common today because we're all taught to collaborate and try to work things out and find these win-win solutions. But when we do this with no other way of, of knowledge about how to resolve conflict, we can just get stuck. So the way the conflict loop works is that our conflict habit our conflict habit interacts with other people's conflict habits to form a pattern of interaction that keeps us stuck on that conflict loop. Yeah, let, let me just expound on that just a little bit. And this idea of self-shaming and negative talk and wanting to collaborate with people that won't collaborate with you. As you were saying that, I was thinking of, you know, there are people that want to be pleasers, and they want to please people, even though those people don't want to collaborate and really don't care to be pleased. Is, is that part of that conflict loop? Uh, my, my, my need for you to appreciate and value me, even though I know you never will? Absolutely. It can very well be. 
we do see that particularly with that last conflict habit of relentlessly collaborate, that whether it's driven by a need to please other people or whether it's driven by, I, I mean, I've more commonly um, referred to it as this, you know, if you've been taught from a very young age, as many people these days have been, because collaborative problem solving as a concept has been around for more than 40 years now. So there are many people in organizations today who have been brought up with this notion that they must collaborate at all costs. So whether that's driven by a need to please or that's driven by this is how I was taught that it must be done, um, the effect can be the same, which is that they, we are pushing uh, to collaborate, which is kind of this oxymoron, <laughs> oxymoronical way of being. Right? <laughs> We're kind of pushing our, pushing our options, right? Here's my options. What about you? What do you think of these options? And the other person is just totally ignoring you or saying no to every single option that you put out in front of them. And you can't figure out why it's not working because you're doing everything you've been taught. You've read Getting to Yes. You've taken every <laughs> conflict course that there is. <laughs> either undergrad or business school, law school, and yet it's not working and you wonder why not. And the reason why is that it's you're taking, you've taken this habit and you used it and used it and used it, you're overusing it, it's taken to the extreme and it's not going to actually solve anything. Uh, and you've seen that, right? So, so the question is, what do you do when you've hit the end of that, you know, you're going around and around on this loop and nothing's being tied up nicely in a fancy bow, you stop and you take a pause and you ask yourself, what is this conflict loop that I'm stuck in? What habit am I using? Can I identify that? Um, and there's a, a quiz on my website that you know is free. It takes seven minutes for people to complete, and it, it will tell you what your conflict is if you're having trouble identifying it. Um, if you go to optimaloutcomesbook.com/assessment, uh, you can take that quiz, and also you can uh, ask yourself, take my best, take your best guess, what might be the conflict habit that someone else is using in this situation with me. You could also, if you have a trusting enough relationship with them, you could say to them, <laughs> why don't you take this quiz? And then you can both know for sure. But it often is very helpful to take your best guess. And then you can see how have we gotten stuck on this conflict loop? Are we in a, I'm relentlessly collaborating and they're shut down pattern? Or am I relentlessly collaborating and they are blaming me back and you know saying no to everything that I offer? Or are we in a blame blame or blame shut down? You know how does this work? And just observing is the first step uh, to freedom because the you know so often we are um, doing 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 trying to do and fix in when we're stuck in conflict loops. So just the action of pausing to observe can actually break that conflict loop just as well as doing anything else. Well, it's just so fascinating. And we hear this, you know, our work is, 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 you know, down in the trenches with, with managers and their teams. And, and we often hear something like you're talking about. It's, it's, yeah, I would like to collaborate more, but eh, things just get bogged down. And, and I don't think sometimes that people realize that they're, they are in these loops and that's why things are bogging down. So tell us once again, um, Jennifer, where people can find you, your work and where you would point them. And then I have a bit of a follow-up for you. Sure. The best place to go is optimaloutcomesbook.com. And if you go to the resources page, there are uh, 10 different PDF documents that you can download for, for free that correspond to each chapter or each of the eight practices in the book, plus a couple of bonus documents. Um, 
that will really walk you through. And then also on that resources page are the two assessments. One is for the conflict habits assessment that we were just talking about. And the other one is the emotion traps quiz. So you can find out how do you tend to get trapped emotionally when you're stuck in conflict and how can you break free from that as well. That sounds great. And you know, Jennifer, like us, uh, I think it was about a year ago, we both had the brilliant idea of putting out our book uh, the first few weeks of COVID uh, in the U.S. So <laughs> we are we are um, united here in, uh, in the struggle to uh, try and put some good information out when, I, when a tough time was happening. So I want to dig a little deeper into conflict because I think this is really fascinating where you're taking us here. Because conflict, let, let's face it, most people try to avoid conflict, or many do. Um, and even if we feel strongly about the issue discussed, if if I have anxiety at all, if I have some some mental health issues I'm living with, there's a very good chance I'm going to head the other way. Uh, and yet, it is necessary in our in our culture. So, you know, a lot of people listening are managers. What would you what would you suggest that managers can do to create an environment that sparks healthy debate, uh, but doesn't spur anxiety through combative conflicts? I think one of the most effective things that a manager can do is to help people, like we were just talking about, first of all, observe that they are stuck and help them observe how they are stuck. So it doesn't have to be complicated, right? You can, if you know about these four habits, you can ask someone who is your direct report, all right. You know, how are you stuck? What's your habit? Do you Are you blaming the other person in this situation? Are you avoiding them? Adrian, like you've suggested, many people do avoid other people. <clears throat> are you blaming yourself and shaming yourself? Or are you relentlessly seeking to collaborate with other people and, and they're not playing along? They're not cooperating back with you. Which one of those four is it? And as a manager, you can also help them identify what might the other person or people that they are stuck in conflict doing? What kind? What habits are they using? And again, just acknowledging how we're stuck is the first step. But you don't want to stop there because just the knowledge alone is not enough. The next thing a manager can do is say, given how you're stuck, so let's say you identify, you as a manager help someone who reports to you identify that they are stuck in a blame-blame pattern with someone else on the team. You can ask them, well, what's something else that you can do as an individual, even without any cooperation from this other person who's blaming you back? What's something you could do to break that pattern? And my advice is, it's, a, it's, it's not necessarily easy, but it is simple. And it is the advice is, just do something different than you've done before. So if you're in this blame-blame pattern, you've been blaming this other person, what else could you do? First of all, you could do nothing right, and see what might happen then. Maybe they'll do something different too. Um, you could make a collaborative gesture or you could look at your own behavior and ask yourself, you know, how have I contributed to this exactly and what am I willing to do differently and let the other person know this is what you're going to see me doing differently. You could get a third person involved. Uh, there, there's so many. I mean, there's just an infinite number of things that you could do to do something different than you've done before. So that's a really two things that a manager can do. One is help the person understand how they're stuck and why they're stuck. And two is help them think of ways that they could do something different than they've done before in the situation. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. As Adrian and I have worked with organizations, we say, look, uh, conflict is important. 
to the innovative process, to the creative process. In fact, we, we say, look, it's it's necessary. And yet you, you talk about, well, there's there's conflict and there's conflict, right? And there's this conflict freedom you talk about. So what's the difference and, and how can managers make sure they're they're nurturing the good conflict and not the destructive kind of conflict? My sense is that conflict that doesn't get stuck on a loop can be healthy. So if there's conflict that's arising on a team, that can typically be healthy, right? As you've said, it can lead to more innovative solutions. And there's a ton of research that suggests this. Um, It can lead to more innovative solutions, more diverse perspectives on a team, helps people um, come up with new ideas. You know, there's just a a lot of um, benefits to one-time conflict. It's when that conflict gets lodged, lodged and stuck, where you are going around and around and not making any progress, that's where my experience is that it becomes destructive. And so you want to find your way off that conflict loop. And the reason why I distinguish between conflict resolution versus conflict freedom is because conflict resolution, like we were talking about before, it's been around as a concept for over 40 years now. This concept of win-win principled negotiation has been used all around the world from business to government to academia, and it's been incredibly, incredibly successful. Diplomacy. Um, And yet, sometimes it doesn't work. Right? We've probably all been in situations where we're trying, like we were talking about before, trying to resolve something using the best skills and tools that we've been taught, and it just doesn't work. And so freeing yourself from conflict in those situations is about doing something different than you've done before and noticing that you are stuck, noticing how you're stuck, um, and saying, I am going to free myself from this conflict loop and I don't need anyone else's cooperation. That's another difference between conflict resolution techniques versus conflict freedom. In, re- in, com- in trying to resolve conflict, you typically need the other side to work with you and do something with you. The beauty of conflict freedom is that you can do all of the eight practices in the optimal outcomes method on your own. You don't need any cooperation from anyone else. And I think that's very empowering for people. I love that idea. Yeah, we don't need others to break us out of this loop. Um, One of the things you just mentioned there was this idea of this win-win solutions that we've been taught. Look, that's all what we're looking for. Uh, In in your book, Optimal Outcomes, you you push that a little bit and say – uh, sometimes, you know, it's pretty obvious what the, uh, what the right idea is. One of our, one of our leaders that we work with a lot is, is a guy named Mark Beck, who, uh, used to be one of the senior executives of Danaher and, uh, and now, and then, uh, CEO of Geldwin and, and now runs his own firms. And one of the things he tells me is as we begin debates, he says, you want to get people debating, you want to get them involved. Uh, and it's pretty clear which way the direction is going, but you've still got to allow them to have a voice. And at the end, he says, I try to say something like, hey, this has been a great discussion. You know, smart people could go either way. I feel like we need to go in this direction. So there is, it's obvious you have to make a decision. So any advice you can give managers on helping people feel a little bit more comfortable when they're not the winner? Helping people feel more comfortable when they're not the winner. <sighs> I mean. <laughs> I think, well, there, it's funny. I thought you were going to ask a different question about that because um, what you're describing is 
a great example of someone, you know, the client that you're talking about has learned how to free himself from this relentlessly collaborate loop that he might have been on in the past. Maybe it's it's possible, it sounds from what you're describing, like he might have learned from from experiences where you can go around and around and around trying to come up with options and nobody ever makes a final decision. And so it sounds to me, in my language, what he did is that he broke that conflict loop and he began to free himself and others from it by t- making a completely different move, which was just to be direct and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. You know, I took all of your input in. Thank you for the input. And now I, as the head of this division or head of this company, I'm going to make this decision and here's the decision and I'm going to let you all know. And now we all need to get aligned around the decision and communicate it down through the organization or whatever, whatever it is. Um, that's a great conflict-freeing move that he made to help his organization not get stuck in this paralyzing non-decision-making mode. Um, so... I don't know exactly how helping, you know, how that, what that has to do exactly with win-win, but maybe what you're suggesting is uh, if the old paradigm in his organization was we must always come up with win-win solutions, the new paradigm is actually our main goal right now is to make decisions. And we need to make those effectively and we also need to make them efficiently. And so what that means is that sometimes we're going to debate until we all are bought in and other times we're going to have to put the priority on efficiency and we're going to have to move quickly and that means that we're going to identify one decision maker and that decision maker is going to gather all the people's input and then make the decision so i think it's it's you know great uh, that's a great example of somebody who has learned how to how to act differently from what the general culture of the organization has in the past perhaps told told him what to do yeah, I like where you're going there because you're right. I mean, in some organizations, it's all about, you know, no, I'm the boss. I get, you know, I, I make the decisions. And others, in a way, it becomes so, you know, diplomatic. We don't, we want to get everybody on board before we move forward. And it's extremely paralyzing in some cases to, to make a decision. I think you're right. What Mark there has found is the best of both worlds. It's not, you know, the old world that he, he came from was, uh, um, now, I make the decision, I'm the boss. Uh, he came to an environment where they're used to, I, you know, I'm going to have ruffled feathers if I don't get my way. He found a way to listen and still be decisive and be direct, which, which I think is, is terrific there. Yeah, that's a great explanation. Yes, absolutely. It's also really important. It gets back to this idea of stopping to observe wh- how are we stuck. And every organization has its own footprint in that way. Right? So the one you're describing might have been stuck in the we go around and around in circles. Other organizations have the opposite problem. So the solution uh, or the way to free yourself from, those, from each one of those two different dynamics, if you have an autocratic leader on the one hand versus one who can't make a decision, uh, the way to free themselves is to do the opposite of whatever they've been doing or just to do something different from what they've been doing. And so you wouldn't want to give the same advice to both of those different kinds of organizations, obviously. Yeah, and listen, don't don't worry about, you know, Adrian asking not the question you thought he was going to ask. He asks complicated questions. I rarely understand what he no, says. Yeah. yeah. 
He says hello to me, and I'm wondering, what does that mean? You know? It's a question within a question, <laughs> wrapped in an enigma. <laughs> There's a conundrum in there somewhere. Yeah. Hey, listen, uh, love your idea about mapping out the conflict, and you've, you've done that for us several times already. We're, we're always interested, you know, obviously with our work and our, and our new research and, and the book Anxiety at Work, is how, how do you coach up leaders to say or, or to make them more aware? What tips do you give them that say, hey, this is causing stress and anxiety. Uh, you know, when, when do you push forward? When do you kind of pull back? Are there, are there tips and, and signs that you can say to, to, to leaders that when they're dealing with the conflict and, and trying to get the optimal outcomes that maybe they've pushed a little too far or need to back off a little bit? Does that make any sense, that question? I, I'm channeling my inner Adrian as I ask that. <laughs> Thanks. That's, uh, that's helping my anxiety. Thank you. <laughs> Well, I'd like to talk about the first part of what you said, Chester, because you you talked about mapping. And the truth is, what we were just talking about is slightly different from what I call conflict mapping. And so I want to distinguish between identifying what conflict loop is that you're stuck on versus mapping out the conflict itself. These are the, the early steps, the early practices, the early things you can do to notice where you are. But mapping is its own thing. So typically when we are stuck on a conflict loop, um, we see the situation in very black and white terms, right? We might think it's about me and you and we're at each other's throats. Mapping helps us take a much wider angle lens and that can help us identify levers for change in the situation that we simply could not have picked up on before. It can also help raise our empathy for ourselves and for others in the situation that was not possible before we drew out a map. So the mapping practice is actually pretty simple. You want to just take out a blank piece of paper or on a blank screen um, and put down the names of the people involved in your situation. Typically, people will put a couple of names or maybe a handful. The next step is to encourage yourself to put more groups, more people down on that map. Who else is either influencing the situation or influenced by the situation? What other factors? What are the factors involved? What are the issues involved? Put those down on your map. So the third step is to really get creative. And so you're going to put these names down on the map. You're going to put circles around the names of the people and the the issues involved, the groups involved, and show how these circles are connected to each other by making lines. And so you might have a pretty messy diagram once you're done. And that is great because sometimes what we want to do is complexify in order to ultimately simplify. But first, you got to do the complex complexity work and make the, make the situation see how it's more complex than you might have realized initially. I've seen people put colors on their maps. I've seen people put names of emotions on their maps, hearts, uh, X's to show uh, relationships that aren't doing well, hearts to show relationships that are very strong. Put anything on your map that will help you tell the story of the situation in a different way than you have before. And the fourth step in this practice is to take a step back and observe your map. And you want to ask yourself, what story does this map tell that's different from the story I was telling before I drew my map? And I will tell you, I've now, for the last year, been working with all kinds of different 
groups and all kinds of different organizations. And I give them two minutes to draw a map after they've thought of a situation where they're stuck in conflict. And after literally two minutes, people have the biggest insights and ahas from doing this practice. Uh, and that's because, you know, one of the typical takeaways that people get from this is they go, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that, so let's say, uh, Chester, you and I are, are stuck on this conflict loop and, you know, our, our manager is involved and we are just pissed at our manager. And when we draw out this map together, what we realize is that our manager is being influenced by her manager. And we had not seen the situation from that point of view before. We thought our manager is just micromanaging us and it's just a horrible manager. And we hadn't realized that her manager might be ma micromanaging her. So this doesn't take away necessarily our pain, but what it does do is instantaneously give us some extra level of empathy for our manager that we couldn't access before. It also helps open up a conversation that you and I might be able to have with our manager. We might be able to show some empathy towards the manager and talk about, hey, you know, we just realized that maybe you're experiencing some you know pressure from your manager and we're feeling that too and it just opens up a whole new level of dialogue uh, and richness in the situation that you couldn't have before you you draw that map so you want to complexify to then ultimately come back and focus yeah thank you for clarification on the loop and the map because it was interesting as you were talking about the conflict loop i was mapping that in, in my brain is, is, is how I would do it. I love also your use of visuals. Like you say, hearts and X's and so on. I also love the, uh, the time limit. Do it fast. So your first impressions are on the board and that's where the real insights come from. So thank you. Thank you for that uh, clarification. That for me was really helpful. I'm glad to hear it. I, I will also say, you know, I've, I've done this out of necessity of doing like a one hour keynote and then people have these two minutes to do this work while we're doing the one hour program. Um, but I've also seen people draw seven different maps, right? So they draw the first one and they go, oh gosh, I just, saw, I see something in here. I got to draw it a different way. So in the book, I tell the story of one of my students at Columbia who drew his maps, you know, seven different times until he hit on the final one where he put himself in the middle of his map. And it was at that moment that this big light bulb went off for him. And he saw that until he was able to acknowledge his own role in this intergenerational, multinational family drama that he had been in for so many years, for you know, literally his whole life, um, until he put himself at the middle of that map, he was not able to see some of the dynamics for what they were. And seeing them really is what helped him turn that situation around and have the specific conversations ultimately with different family members that he needed to have. Yeah, the, Years ago, we read a book called uh, Back of the Napkin. And, and I remember going into, we read, just read that and went into, uh, did a sales call. We were up in, uh, in actually Toronto working with one of our salespeople and they had this client and they had some real issues. So I went, remember going into seeing the senior leadership team, you know, seven or eight uh, senior execs sitting around and and uh, they had a whiteboard behind me. So I, I just started, you know, okay, tell me what your issue is. And we just started mapping it out. And it was really interesting as they did that. You know, I remember getting about 20 minutes in, the CEO just said, 
Adrian, I need to stop you right now. He says, just thank you for not bringing a PowerPoint. I can't tell you <laughs> how helpful this is to see it in this way. And, and our salesperson ended up getting the business. So, I mean, this is a great little uh, technique, not only for us to help, but it's a great technique for salespeople. See things visually um, and map them out, whatever your problem is. I love this idea. Yes, that's great. I, I also, we can direct people to the website as well. If you go to optimaloutcomesbook.com slash map, there is obviously you can, as you've just said, and as we were talking about it before, you can do this by hand on any piece of paper. But we found this really cool online mapping software. So, so for people who are very into graphics online, you can go there and you'll find the mapping software and that can be really fun too. That's so cool. Yeah, this has been a great discussion. Time has flown here um, about how healthy conflict can bolster mental self safety uh, rather than harm team dynamics. And that's sometimes we kind of worry, oh, I don't want my people arguing. Well, no, we do. But in positive ways, debating. And um, so if you could sum this up, what are a couple of steps that maybe managers especially might be able to take this week in order to better implement healthy conflict and mental health in their teams? Yeah, well, there are eight practices in the optimal outcomes method, and we haven't talked about six of them, but we have talked about the first two. <laughs> so um, we could, I could, I think what I'm going to do is just stick to the first two that we've talked about, just to keep things straight up and simple so people can understand. I would say for managers, the best things you can do is help people understand how are they stuck, and then what's one thing that they could do that would be different from what they've done before to help themselves break free from this conflict loop and um, towards an optimal outcome. And so uh, you could use the, the website as a resource. You could um, just talk to them about, you know, what have you been doing and keep it simple and then ask them what's something simple that they could do that would be different. A couple of the other practices that we haven't touched on yet, but just, you know, very briefly, um, is this idea of creating a pattern-breaking path. And so to remind people, when you're a manager, to remind people that if they've been stuck on a conflict loop, it's a conflict that's going around and around and around, it's not likely that only one action is going to set them free. They're going to have to take step after step after step. And so this pattern-breaking path, the idea is that it you know, one action builds on the one that came before it. Each action builds on the one that came before it. You keep your actions simple uh, and make your actions surprisingly different because when we take action that surprises other people by doing something different than we've done before, so if you've been blaming someone and then all of a sudden you apologize, uh, it could really catch them off guard, and that's a good thing. That's a way to jolt the other person also out of that conflict loop. And you might be also uh, usually happily surprised at how they'll respond in kind. There's this, uh, again, a lot of research has said, said the idea of reciprocity is often in play in, in conflict and negotiation situations. So you apologize. Other people will more typically respond in kind. So you want to take the lead. So that's just another idea in the book about uh, how you as a manager could help other people. Remember, it's not just one not just one action, but it's going to be a, a, a set of, of actions. But keep them simple. You don't want, you don't want to be creating more, uh, more complexity in a situation that's already pretty complex, typically. So keep your actions simple, surprisingly different, and make sure one action builds on the next. 
Yeah, you know, this is all part of uh, the method to our madness, Jen. See, if you'd mapped it all out, people wouldn't have an excuse to buy your book. <laughs> we want people to buy your book, Optimal Outcomes, and, and, and your website. Give us your website one more time, because this kind of thing, you know, Adrian and I are both convinced that if you can resolve these conflicts, if you can really look for optimal outcomes, anxiety levels come down, stress comes down. It's a safe place to debate, and you've got some wonderful tools. So one more time, give us your website. It's OptimalOutcomesBook.com. Excellent. Well, thank you. Uh, Dr. Jennifer Goldman-Wetzler has been our guest, and, and this has just been really fascinating. Some great takeaways on how we build a mentally healthy culture where we still can debate and, and come up with the best decisions for our organization. So, so, Jennifer, again, thank you so much for coming and being with us today. Thank you so much, Adrian. Thank you, Chester. It's been a pleasure talking with you both. You bet. Take care. Well, Chess, that was really interesting. Jennifer is uber smart. And obviously, you know, what a great background, too, that, you know, learning from the feet of, uh, of a conflict whisperer in her own uh, upbringing. Yeah, I, I really was struck by, you know, her family story. And isn't that the, the case with so many of us that the way you grow up, the environment you grow up, and, and where her passion came from. And she had the, you know, the high conflict on one side and then her, her grandma with the, you know, the, the conflict whisperer. What a, what a great, what a great title, you know. And, and that, that really struck me. And then just really the taking the emotion out of conflict, you know, and, and you're stuck in the loop. Why are you stuck in the loop? How are you stuck in the loop? And, and where can we break out of that loop, I thought was, was really interesting and really helpful. Yeah. And recognizing that, that we often do have loops, you know, first off, are we blaming others? Are we avoiding the conflict? Are we are we self-shaming? Are we trying to collaborate when you know, the other group is obviously not going to do it? And the role of a manager to sort of shake people out of that and say, look, we can't just keep Sisyphean pushing the rock up the hill. We've got to break the pattern. What can we do differently? I mean, I think that's the first part of a leader is saying, like Mark Beck did that I mentioned, it's, okay, we've done this forever. Here's what we're going to do differently to try and get a better outcome. Yeah. I thought that negative self-talk was interesting, too. And, you know, we talked about pleasers. I, You know, that was one of my questions because, you know, for most of my life, I've uh, except with you, Adrian, I, I want to please people. And, you, you know, and... <laughs> yeah. It's never been a problem. Yeah, I don't understand <laughs> And, and you get caught in that loop. You know, I, I remember in our, our previous uh, jobs, we thought, gosh, if we just work a little harder, if we just show a little more revenue, then they'll have to love us. And we were caught in that, uh, I want to please you loop where it, it doesn't matter. And that's where you've got to break out of the loop. That was a really big takeaway and a self-actualization for me. Yeah, that we don't need the other side to work with us to break out of that loop. And you're exactly right. How many times do we do that? And so I think the last point was this idea of mapping, too, yeah. that I took away that was very good, is, you know, what's your problem? Map it out. Who are all those who are involved in this? And push yourself. Who are being, who are being, who's being influenced? Who's influencing? You know, what factors are involved? And, you know, and then as very visually, you start putting little, little reminders in there or little tokens that say, okay, this is, this is a good thing. This is a bad thing. And really observing 
what story this map is telling us. Yeah, I, I love the visuals. You know, you and I are very visual when it comes to that. And I love the time limit. Do it really fast. What are you seeing? And and then I loved her, her wrap-up story where, you know, one guy had to map it out five, six, seven times to figure out, you know, what was the optimal map. But that visualization, I think, was was so key. We could we could have spent an hour uh, on that. Well, yeah, and, and like you say... Uber smart, very calm. I, I mean, I, I just her voice was so calming. You know, she really has inherited her grandma's, you know, conflict whispers. So really um, recommend Optimal Outcomes, her book and the tools on her website. You know, if you're having that conflict and it's causing a lot of anxiety, what a great resource. Absolutely. So again, as always, a special thanks to our producer, Brent Klein, to Christy Lawrence for finding guests like Jennifer, um, and to all of those of you who listen in, especially if you download. We love it when you download the podcast so we can big up, build up a, an even bigger following. Uh, don't forget to join us online at wethrivetogether.global and check out our new book, Anxiety at Work, with lots of practical hints on how to build a team with resilient and and positive team members. Yeah, it's really a safe place to talk about anxiety and wellness in the workplace. We thrive together.global. Join us there. It's free. We've got a really engaging community. You know, I think the, the message always is, right, Adrian, that if you're suffering from anxiety, if you've got mental health issues and wellness issues, you're not alone. You know, here's a community where you'll be welcomed, you'll be helped. And if it's if we help just one person break through that anxiety, then uh, our work is, is, is worthwhile. Wishing you the best of mental health this coming week. You know, we, we need people around us that can guide us through tough times, can guide us through anxiety, stress, especially at work. And that's why I'm so excited to welcome our sponsor to the show, Life Guides. Life Guides is a peer-to-peer community that helps people navigate through their day-to-day stressors by providing a place of empathy, listening, wisdom, and support with a guide who has walked in your shoes, experiencing the same challenge or life experience as you. You know, when we are anxious, we need help. We need a guide, and that's what Life Guides does. So, to offer your team this service and show that you care, all you got to do is go to lifeguides.com forward slash schedule a demo and add the code HEALTHY2021 into the text box, and you'll get two months of their free service. Think about it two months to have a life guide to walk you through anxiety in life and anxiety at work. So excited to welcome them to our podcast. Remember, it's lifeguides.com forward slash schedule a demo. And in the text box, all you got to do is put in healthy 2021. Thank you, Life Guides.